Hey everyone, welcome back to the On The Brink podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I have a very special guest with me. His name is Will, and he is currently in Pennsylvania. He will share a little bit more about himself in a second. And when I was trying to prepare this introduction, I was thinking of when we first met, and I honestly cannot pinpoint a particular moment. So I'm trying. I'm really trying hard. But me and Will went to UMass together, and we were both master's students. He was uh, a year below me in school. He was a first-year grad student when I was a second year. So we had a lot of good times at UMass together in the music department. And I'm just so excited to have Will on to share his path because, you know, he's actually not currently studying music anymore. He has completely changed his path. So I'm really excited for him to share all about that and just be on the podcast. So welcome to the pod, Will. Hey, thank you so much, Emily. I'm really glad to be here. And let me just start off by saying how honored and and humbled I am to be sharing the spotlight today with uh, President Joseph R. Biden and Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. Let's give them one more round of applause, right? Come on. Okay, now that that's out of the way. <laughs> well, now we're giving giving away when we recorded this. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was a secret. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, not. it's okay. Not a secret. It's a big day. I've been celebrating a lot. It is. No, thank you for bringing that up on the pod. My yeah. listeners know I'm a huge Biden supporter. have been for a while. Nice. There we go. Big day for all of us. Well, let me just say to pick up where you... Uh, where you sort of left off there. We were going to talk about the very first time we met. Yes. And I don't know if you asked that because you don't remember, but I remember extremely, extremely well. I was walking into UMass, into uh, the music building, and I was meeting with our voice teacher, Dr. Jamie Rose Guarine, who's a, a hero of mine, and I think of Emily's as well. Um, and she was trying to instruct me on how to add private lessons to my, to my sort of daily uh, schedule. And I had not at the time been able to take private lessons with anyone because I was a comp composer. I'll get into all that later, I'm sure. But at the time it was super confusing. So she grabs Emily from the hallway and she's like, Hey, Emily's going to tell you everything you need to know about, about getting into lessons, about getting into opera. And she's going to take you into the, into the office and just sort it all out. And I was like, Emily, who's Emily, you know? <laughs> and that was the first time we met. And you seemed to re I honestly thought you worked there when we, uh, when I showed up because you knew exactly all the forms I needed and who, you know, who needed to sign them. And, uh, and that's when I knew this was going to be, this was going to be a friend of mine. Definitely. Oh, that's so funny. I have to be honest and tell you, I really don't have a recollection of that moment. And um, it's okay. I don't. I don't make super strong first impressions. It's like a slow burn with me usually. No, <laughs> I'm I don't used think to that. I don't think it was you. I think I just was probably like having a crazy day, and it was probably just like 
a very quick Another thing. kind of moment where I just helped you out and then that was that. But I do, I've, obviously you were in my studio and we did eventually get to know each other better over time, but I just don't remember like that one particular first impression moment. Like I, I just don't. But, <laughs> but I believe you. I believe you that it happened. Will was in my studio, like I just said, and he was also in opera. So that was another moment. And I think when I think about like our friendship, I think that we became a lot closer, like right after the opera. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you were in, it was like Dido and Aeneas and <laughs> and L'Enfant. And they were just like, w that one was wacky. But you were in both of those in the ensemble, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so yep. there was a lot of rehearsal time in like, january i want to say when we came back yeah we had to come back early and it was miserable and horribly cold in massachusetts and i hated it and uh yeah we're just there something like you know 10 hours a day in this like asbestos ridden hellhole of a music building in the basement, <laughs> in the basement yeah in the yeah no windows just the worst place to be and we're beginning to stage these two completely, you know, separate, uh, you know, disparate <laughs> operas that for some reason we were doing together on the same bill. And, uh, and then we started to, we started to bond after that. You were pretty busy because you actually had a pretty, pretty significant role in, uh, in the uh, Ravel, right? Yeah, that was a stressful time because I was the princess and that was like the most difficult aria I've probably ever learned in my life. Um, and I yeah. had a, I had a tough time if you watched those rehearsals, like, you know, which I don't think you ever had to watch like the, the solo parts going on because it was mostly just ensemble work that you were there for, but gosh, it was just yep. so stressful. It was a rough time. So I think after the opera was over, um, it was definitely like time to let loose. And I think I could be wrong, but I think that's when we like started to go out and it, you, me and Madeline are like the group from UMass mm -hmm. that like know each other. And Madeline mm -hmm. was on the podcast season one for all of you who have stuck with us. And yep. um, and so we just started like going out, we would go dancing, the basement in Northampton, that was our place, <laughs> like super sketch, but lots so of fun, sketch. lots oh, of fun. Yeah. So many, many, many good memories going out with you, just hanging out, um, just like always a good time. Yep, yeah, we were, it was, it was, we were lucky that we both lived in, uh, in Northampton and cause a lot of, a lot of the other graduate students lived in Amherst, but we lived in sort of the more, the, the thriving metropolis of Western Massachusetts and, uh, took advantage of it every, every chance we got. Right. We were dancing, we were going to shows and hanging out and going out to eat. Yeah, I know. I missed that. Thinking back, it's like, we really did have a good time um, and we really took advantage of what we had. But obviously in March, which is during your second year, you were not able to finish out your second year on campus and, you know, had to deal with that during the pandemic. So, OK, so taking this back a step, uh, you are or were a composition master's student at UMass. Correct. Yep. And then... Somewhere along the line, you decided that you didn't want to pursue that as like a full-time career. 
correct? Yep. Yep. That's right. Okay. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you're currently doing and like how that transition came to be? Sure. So right now I am in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, and I am about to begin my second semester in their post-baccalaureate uh, pre-medical program. Um, and basically what that means is over the course of this one year, this um, intensive program, you take all of your prerequisite science classes um, for medical school. So you take general chemistry, organic chemistry, you take physics, you take, um, which one am I missing? Oh, biology, of course. And uh, a little bit of biochem and you sort of get all your materials together and you begin the application process for medical school um, in one year, one extremely, <laughs> extremely condensed, <laughs> crazy year. Um, and it's sort of known as like the, the sort of fast track way. You're a fast tracker if you do this. And then a lot of these programs have um, what they call linkage options or consortial options, which means that right after your post-bac year, um, you can apply during, during the winter, during this, this time and uh, matriculate in the summer of the following uh, right, right after you finish this program. So you don't have to take the glide year and you can uh, just sort of get started year one of medical school. Um, not everyone does that. It's sort of like half and half right now, as I'm told it is most years. But um, I am currently taking advantage of that option. And I'm um, actually about to have my first uh, medical school interview on Monday. So that's why I'm doing a dress rehearsal the way that we used to for all of our, for all of our performances and, you know, doing some sound checks and making sure everything looks fine. If you, uh, well, it'll be too late by the time this posts, but I was going to say, if you have any tips, if your viewers have any tips, they can uh, chime in. But anyway, yeah, so that's, that's what's going on with me. And um, the story there is long. Should I try to, uh, should I try to, extrapolate a little bit yeah yeah i think it's an interesting switch from music to medicine um you I, I think a lot of people would think of those two things as like very separate it's not like you're going from you know i don't know like vet to medicine you're going from like right. music to medicine so like totally sure. totally different coursework totally different like sides of the brain that you're using, like just different in a lot of ways. And you were going from like preparing a master's recital to then preparing applications to get into this, you know, medical program. And that's right. You know, yep. You know, just a lot. I, I can imagine it was a lot of work. But yeah, I do want to know, you know, what made you switch from music to medicine? Sure, sure. So I think I should back up a little bit and talk about well, we didn't even discuss how we were singing opera together when I while I was a composition <laughs> student. So I'll, I'll start by saying that I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. I spent the first 18 years of my life there. And um, while I was in high school, I started taking voice lessons and um, got into you know my school's top choir and was really excited about singing, really excited about music. I got a private voice teacher 
who happened at the time to be singing uh, at the New York Metropolitan Opera. Um, and he became a really good friend and mentor of mine. And when I was a senior, he started teaching actually at New York University. And he sort of asked me if I'd like to follow him, if I'd like to come out to New York and, and try to do this, try to be wow. a young opera singer. And um, I took him up on it and I, I moved to New York. I had literally never been there. I, I went for my audition and the very same day flew back. So I had never even you know spent a night in New York City. Um, and I just moved there and tried to make it as an opera singer. And I, I did it for four years, got my degree. Um, and while I was there, I started playing um, in a, I guess a rock band. Uh, I also play guitar and bass. And so um, it was sort of something we did on the weekends for fun. And then it kind of became more of a professional thing. We started to get really, really nice venues and, and club dates. And um, we started touring a little bit my sophomore and junior year. And then by my senior year, it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to be making a boatload of money in opera anytime soon. <laughs> so I sort of pivoted and started playing um, in this band full time. And then I stayed in New York for two years and I did that. Um, but while I was doing these things, you know, I was always um, I was always sort of going back home periodically uh, because my mother is a pediatrician and uh, she owns her own practice in Lawrence, Kansas. And it started in 2011. Um, and sort of from the get-go, I was involved with just about everything you can imagine in a, in a doctor's office, um, records and, and vaccine refrigeration and sterilization and putting up the network. And I painted the building. I've, you know, shop vacked water when it flooded. I mean, I did everything for that place. I was truly the, the swamper. And, uh, but somewhere along the way there, I think the seed got planted in my mind that this really felt different than, than music. There was sort of this tangible element that really did feel exciting and and I always had always tried to attain through music but was never that clear music is sort of tough in that way it feels very good when it's good and bad when it's bad as I think you you can attest to it's definitely ephemeral in that way um, and then when I decided to leave New York and try to compose my own music and then and then bring that to people in a professional setting um, that feeling was even more sort of exacerbated when I started uh, volunteering at Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton. I think you've, you know that hospital, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was there in surgical daycare in uh, out, outpatient surgery, just sort of, uh, you know, chauffeuring patients and uh, building stretchers and doing some more, you know, record help and all these sorts of different little tasks in the, in the clinic there and post-op and, and pre-op. And I think I was getting ready to do, to give this final recital of all my music and eventually apply to um, PhD programs. And all of a sudden I just realized that everything I liked at UMass, everything I liked about playing in a band, everything I liked about opera was really not 
<laughs> related to music at all. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was more related to sort of being in these close knit communities and working with people, working for people and in stressful situations and with big personalities, as I'm sure, you know, <laughs> and, um, and just sort of mediating all those situations and, um, and feeling like a part of a team. And I started to realize that I, I you started to sort of have this confidence instilled in me that I could actually do this um, work in healthcare professionally and, and, and help people in a very tangible way. So I made this huge pivot and now I'm really excited to be here in this bizarre time uh transitioning to medicine <laughs> so yeah that's my spiel <laughs> sorry wow. it took so long that, no that's that's really cool um do you think so now that you're in it you're doing what you thought you wanted to do is it mm -hmm. still what you thought you wanted to do great question great question um yes but i will say that all those sort of markers along the way that you um, that can, you know, maybe change your mind or, or make you sort of reassess. I haven't necessarily had because of the pandemic. So normally I would be volunteering pretty regularly, um, at a clinic here or at, you know, the children's hospital chop in, in Philly or something like that. But because of the circumstances, we're pretty much just doing our basic core science classes and, and application stuff which has been hard. I mean, it's been difficult to make such a dramatic uh, uh, switch, you know, especially this, you know, I'm not old per se, but you know, this late in my, in my at least educational uh, or academic life. And I think it's tough to not have that reinforcement of patient contact, you know, not have that, that thing that I got, you know, in the pediatric clinic or, or at the hospital in Northampton, where you really feel like you're, making a difference and you can see people and touch them and, you know, really sort of interact with them. Um, so keeping up the momentum while only studying, you know, molecules and, and, you know, ribonucleic acids is incredibly difficult. Um, but that said, I think even if I, if, even if I did still have plenty of patient contact, I would be, I would be extremely excited to be on this path. Oh, good. Okay. So you do feel, yeah. you do feel, uh, like you're going to stick with it. And I know you yes. have an interview coming up on Monday. So uh, right. I, and my listeners wish you luck. Thank you. I'm sure, Thank you. I'm sure they all will be rooting for you, uh, for that interview. And, and we will try to keep, keep up with you and see how that all pans out. But, um, but I am curious like because it's such a huge flip so from music to medicine and mm. now you're so immersed in these like science classes right i mean we've talked in the last few months and you're always swamped with work and you're always overwhelmed like oh yeah yeah we've tried to schedule this multiple times and it's not been not been possible <laughs> yeah i mean you're busy you're really busy and that is completely understandable but do you miss the music side of things at all and are you able to like find a way to do music at all, even in like a very small way or like, what is that looking like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, 
yes, I miss it every day. <laughs> I miss, I miss playing. I miss thinking about music, researching about music. I miss, you know, composing my own and talking to people about music. And it, it is, uh, it's a feeling that I don't think will ever dissipate, you know, but, um, at the same time, I know that so much of that feeling is only because I'm maybe not doing it at the moment. If you know what I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, for example, right after the semester ended, uh, we had our last final December 18th and the next day I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, I have so much music that I've been trying to write down so many things I want to read so many things, you know, I want to set up these microphones and get some of these song ideas down and, you know, all that sort of thing. And I spent the next day, day and a half doing that. And then I was like, had that familiar feeling of now what, <laughs> you know, um, it was all out there and I was proud that I did it, you know, in my stressed out days from, you know, nearly burning out and pre-medical science courses. But, um, you know, I felt good that, that I had actually flexed that muscle again but without people listening or without the, you know, the live performance aspect, it wasn't really that rewarding. Um, but that said, I still pick up a guitar every single day. And if I'm near a piano, I'm like going through Bach inventions. If I'm, I'm not singing much opera, unfortunately, that does take a lot of, you know, uh, you have to really sort of get set up and be in a good place you know, physically and mentally, yeah. uh, you can't just jump into it as you, as I'm sure, you know, and have experienced. <laughs> I have to say though, uh, for my listeners who have never heard you sing before, um, you, the first time that you sang in, it must've been studio class. Cause I don't know when else I would have heard you sing. It was truly shocking, like really shocking because you have such a great voice and, yeah. and you were only taking lessons like you know, on the side, really, because you were a composition, you were not a voice performance, which I found out later, you were voice performance in your undergrad, but for your master's, you were not voice performance. So it was like shocking when you got up on the stage and you sang, and you did not sing very often. You did not sing (laughs) Yeah, you should have. Yeah, she really, she really tried to get me to perform more, more frequently, but, uh, it was, I am I am just as neurotic about singing as I am, you know, composing. So I it's a it's not a very regular occurrence. <laughs> I have to really be in it and, you know, know exactly what I'm doing. But that was a great situation. I mean, Dr. Guarin, first of all, is a, just a phenomenal um, voice technician. You know, she can really sort of um, make diamonds out of coal. <laughs> uh and we, I had the opportunity to pretty much sing whatever rep I want. And I had plenty of stuff that I loved. You know, that, that's the interesting thing about the switch to composition that I don't think people really understand when I tell them that there's a moment, there, there are many moments when you're singing rep and you're, uh, or, or you're playing rep, you're, uh, you're a violinist or you're an opera singer or you're a concert pianist or whatever. And, um, you know, the, the landscape is you sort of, you, you take the gigs you can get, right. You play and sing whatever people will pay you to play or sing. 
Um, and unfortunately I was kind of always pretty stubborn and did not want to just do what people <laughs> told me to do. And so, um, I was really blessed to be able to make that. I mean, that transition was dramatic. Talk about all these big transitions. That one was dramatic. You know, like I did not have a lot of my own compositions. I, um, didn't really understand what it meant to be, you know, a composer to have that career. And, but I knew it was something I needed to do. I needed to learn more about. So I, so I took that leap and then went to UMass and, and of course studied with Sal, who was phenomenal and really helped me think through this, you know, this other massive transition. Um, but I think, I think people don't understand that, you know, you, you, uh, you, you can choose what you, the music you make and the music you're involved with. And you, you don't always have to just like accept whatever the standard repertoire is or what's in the canon. You can have very stark opinions about it. You know, um, we don't always all have the opportunity or the, or the privilege to say no to certain gigs, but mm -hmm. you know, it is important to have opinions about the music you're playing or singing, or you're never going to really do them justice. I think so. Sorry. That was like a weird tangent, but sometimes I just meet, I just meet people, um, brilliant, brilliant performers, brilliant, brilliant players who just don't seem very interested in the music they're playing. And that, that never made sense to me. Yeah. Well, I think that happens a lot in, music schools especially when you're at like a more conservatory like kind of place which mm -hmm. I never really experienced because I I mean I went to a school of music and then UMass as a department but uh, I think you do encounter that a lot where people just are kind of like blindly going along and they're not actually like thinking about what they're performing or like they're just prepping for another recital and it's exactly like, you know, yeah. and I, I was kind of falling into that trap, too, where it was like, what am I doing? Like, I I love singing and I, I want to pursue this and I love the program and the opportunity to, like, kind of take my time in it. And like that was the thing with with uh, Dr. Guarin, where she kind of let me, you know, explore different rep. And and so that was nice. That was really nice. Um, but. I know now you're not obviously singing that kind of stuff. So you can on your own time, like determine what you want to be, what you want to be performing yeah. when you have the time, obviously you're super busy. Yep. But do yep. you think that having the music degrees um, is helpful in any way for now being in medicine? Like, do you think that it gave you any specific skills that other people might not have or might give you a leg up? for getting into grad school or is that not really a thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I think when I, when people ask me that question, it's like, it's everything I learned in music school and, and as a musician is going to apply 100% to whatever else I do, but especially for medicine. I mean, there are so many things you know, I was thinking the other day about um, we're, we're starting sort of our big, biochem unit this semester and a lot of that is just and physiology and a lot of that is just um so much rote memorization and it's it's sometimes you know you can't always use your latin roots and figure everything out like sometimes it is simply just you know one-to-one -one word association you have to practice over and over and i think of you know i spent five six years um memorizing 
entire song cycles in languages I didn't fully understand, you know, there's no way that's not going to come in handy. Right. Um, and that, I mean, that's just like one very specific skill, but, but like I was saying earlier about um, sort of interacting with people and, 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 you know, gaining all these social skills and, and uh, being around people from different backgrounds who all share this one, one joy, one, one, you know, love of, of music that, um, you know, you, you can, you can really learn a lot about people through, through, you know, uh, the practice of music that I don't, and I don't think everyone has experienced that, you know, which is a shame, but I'm glad I have. (laughs) Yeah. It'll probably make you a better doctor. I think. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, do you know what you want to specialize in yet or no? Like it's Uh, way, way too early, but like, if you had to pick today, what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think, um, I really have two, two poles here. I mean, there's, so the one side is, um, some, some kind of primary care and the school that I'm interviewing with on, on Monday is real has a really strong, uh, primary care education. So that's, you know, um, family practice, pedi- pediatrics, uh, um, geriatrics, like that sort of thing, fam- family medicine. And, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that's who you see when you go, when you go to the doctor, sorry, I shouldn't explain primary care to people. They probably know what that is, but, um, I, I usually just, and I, and I still have a, a big interest just sort of in the, the plurality of it, you know, seeing people with all kinds of different illnesses or, or, maladies or just qualms sometimes or confusion you know that you never know what's gonna what's gonna walk in the door and present itself to you so that that aspect is nice the great thing about something like family practice is that you can build relationships with people you wouldn't necessarily build in the hospital um so you can see them when they're healthy for their well visits and then you can you know know a little bit more about them when they come in for their sick visit. Cause then you know what they're, you know, like when they're healthy and yeah. <laughs> you know, there's um, there, you can really have a rapport with people that I don't think you can get as a, you know, as a hospitalist, but the other side of that, because of all the years of singing um, I usually tell people that I'm interested in otolaryngology and, and, you know, ENT, ENT work scoping and all that sort of stuff. And um you know, voice science and all the abduction, adduction and all the various, you know, milieu of things that can happen to your vocal folds. And I'm sure you've been scarred, not physically, mentally scarred by all those things, <laughs> thinking good. about oh, nodes and well, polyps. I had a vocal problem. I had an injury when I was younger. So did you? I didn't know that. Yeah. I like was belting in like between like eighth grade and freshman year of high school, I was belting so badly. Um, and it's a long story and, you know, not worth going into, but basically I lost my voice. I could not speak well. I could not sing. I couldn't, I lost my entire upper range and I, I'm a soprano. So I, you know, I can sing high, but I was like full belting, like really bad. And, oh. um, yeah, ended up switching voice teachers and my voice teacher had vocal issues in her own past and had gone to vocal therapy. So she just like took me through some vocal therapy exercises for like, it took like a year to really like regain everything back. And she wanted me to get scoped, but I was so afraid of getting scoped. And we also like, we didn't know if my insurance was going to cover it. We didn't know 
like, you know, anything about it and just sounded really scary. So I was like, no, I don't want to get scoped. So I, we just kind of like held off and luckily everything resolved itself. And then that's how I started singing classically. But yeah, I, uh, I cannot believe like now where I'm at. And, and I think like, I really, really respect ENTs and I've gone to so many. I had, um, my voice teacher in college, he went to an ENT in Bloomington, Illinois, and I started going there whenever I had issues. I've been scoped probably like, I don't know how many times now, four maybe. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm not a good patient, so I've had reactions to the scoping before. Like really? I've, I've like had vasovagal reactions, but that's just a thing that I have. You know, you get that from like immunizations too, or vaccinations. Um, vaccines are so quick that like, I'm usually okay from that, but like anything that takes more than like a second, like blood draws usually give me a vasovagal yeah, That's pretty reaction. common. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but scoping has been such a problem where I'll have a reaction to like the numbing spray. Yeah. Interesting. I hate that stuff. Uh, it's like, it leaves like a burn in your throat, you know? Yeah. Ugh. I yeah, really can't. It's, it's not fun. So I've, I've gotten scoped without the numbing spray. Like that's no Whoa. fun either. <laughs> Have you done the nose or the just purely throat or both? Yeah. Up the nose. Yeah. I've done the nose is honestly better than when they just put the rod down your throat oh. because it's like, you're just gagging the whole time. It's pure torture. <laughs> Hopefully by the time I'm, I'm practicing, there will be more humane methods of endoscopy, but yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. You'll be my ENT if you, uh, if you do that, but we need more people. We need more ENTs who have a voice background. We need yeah. more of that because uh, honestly, as a vocalist, I didn't trust any ENT unless they had seen a singer before or had some sort of experience treating singers or, you know, like there are voice clinics for that yep. kind of thing, but sometimes that's expensive or you can't get in or you don't live near one. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but, um, but you'd be great because you have that experience. You have that knowledge of the yeah. voice. Yeah. I think it'd be a nice way to, to tie all that together and I really have been interested and I took some sort of you know, a couple of uh, like vocal uh, physiology courses when I was at NYU actually which oh. was uh, or I just audited them but it was it was really fascinating and I think uh, you know all of my own experiences with ENTs have definitely I, you know I say that's the other poll because it is very much like a research medical practice research heavy and very 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 subspecialist and very yeah you know it takes a much longer residency and and all these other things but it does seem fascinating and I had such a great yeah like you said you have to especially if you're a singer you have to you have to go to an ENT that knows singers and mine mine luckily oh man i had the best ent in new york dr Pittman. this guy was literally in the building across from carnegie hall and uh was just such a such a hot shot you know <laughs> ent he knew exactly what was wrong before you even got scoped and knew what to give you and would check up on you i think now he actually runs the uh the like voice science center at um columbia oh, wow <laughs> so that's awesome. he's definitely done well for i should reach out to him actually yeah. that would be cool. oh my gosh yeah. hey do you remember me did you have a, <laughs> a vocal injury no i had i lost my voice one time um 
from, um, I had pneumonia actually, and then lost my voice just from all the coughing and laryngitis. Yeah. Yeah. Developed laryngitis. And then, uh, he just put me on a mild steroid and I think maybe a small dose antibiotic and I was back to normal in a few weeks, but it was scary. You know, it's like, you know, it's going to be fine, but still you're like, well, what if it's not, this has been my entire life. You know, (laughs) I'm not just going to leave it behind. Yeah. And you were talking about how music won't make you a lot of money, but it's also, uh, like, so unpredictable with your body where if you're not having a day that you're feeling a hundred percent, which when is anyone feeling a hundred percent? Like, like when did you get enough sleep every single day of every single week and right hydration and right, yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah that's, yeah. that's what I was saying earlier about, you know, the reason I, that would be my first thing that I would do to, to stay current, to practice music. I would love to sing and learn new rep, but though you, you have to be so prepared, you have to be so healthy. I, I'm far too stressed out these days to be anywhere near uh, the right headspace to even begin learning an aria or something, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, hopefully, if, you know, I'll get there one day. But, <laughs> but right now, it's like not even a possibility because it does take so much preparation and so much like mental, mental work, you have to be in the right state of mind, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for people that pursue that as, you know, a full-time career. Obviously right now in the pandemic, there's an additional challenge in the way, but you know, and that wasn't, that had nothing to do with why I didn't pursue music full-time. But I think, I think a lot of us kind of realize that and a lot of us, you know, end up moving into a different path for, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of reasons. And Mm -hmm, for you, mm -hmm. it's, you know, you had this pull towards medicine that was aside from everything else. But, um, but I think there are a lot of reasons that people have for, for switching out of music, unfortunately. Yep, absolutely. Especially things like opera. I mean, opera is just so, it means everything to the people. It means everything to and to other people. They just totally don't get it. They don't get what it takes. They don't understand the music. And, uh, that's so difficult. You know, you, it's so hard to tell someone like, Hey, I can't talk today. You know, like I have this huge part in this, in, you know, opening night tomorrow. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, are you crazy? Like you have all those weird moments where people just think you're a total alien and yeah, you might feel like that your entire career, but if it means the world to you, then that's something you should pursue. Exactly. Yeah. But music was not your, your main calling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was, uh, yeah. Like I said, when I really sort of sat down and thought about that, you know, that initial pull from, from Kansas and then everything that happened after that, it's like, you know, I love music. It'll always be a part of my life, but that's not where I'm most beneficial. I don't feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how things work out and I am a big believer of like that everything happens in its right time, not necessarily like for a reason, but like when you think back, like, you know, hearing your story and like your voice teacher who was so influential and then like ending up in New York where you had never been before and then Massachusetts randomly and, uh, you know, now you're in Pennsylvania. So, you know, you've kind of been all over and... (laughs) <laughs> you wouldn't even be, you know, you wouldn't have come out to the East Coast if it weren't for that teacher, right? 
Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's people you meet along the way and the conversations you have and the things you latch on to and some sort of following your heart. If you're into, if you're into all that woo woo stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's that, but like, yeah, just like the way that the world works where you end up where you're supposed to be. And, um, it's not always easy, but you do like find your way if you're working hard towards your yeah. goals. Yeah. Can I, can I redo something? I just, I just read, I was, I was reading, um, this Herman Hesse novel. Do you know that guy? He no. wrote Siddhartha was a really popular one, but I just read Steppenwolf. And then I read, um, Oh, what was the other one? Uh, it's called Damien or yeah, Damien. And it's, uh, it's just sort of Hesse writes a lot about, um, you know, he's very spiritual, but not religious is I guess the best way to say it. Um, and, he has this really great quote about sort of uh, I would say it's about like be becoming or, you know, sort of being on your own path that no one can, can uh, take for you. It is uh, solitude is the path over which destiny endeavors to lead man to himself. Can you read that one more time? Solitude is the path over which destiny endeavors to lead man to himself. Wow. Okay, that's very deep. Yeah. Yeah, right. But it does it does require a lot of um introspection to sort of be able to become who you're going to become and it's not always painless. In fact, I don't think it's ever painless. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. You're I think you're onto something. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one final question for you. Okay. And uh, I I'm curious if you have any good words of wisdom. I mean, you just gave us a good quote, so maybe I'm asking a lot. But um, <laughs> if you have any like words of wisdom for people who are struggling in their current path or like thinking of switching, you know, and are kind of on the fence about what they want to do, if you have any advice for people like that, especially those in their 20s, because you are, I don't want to give away, you know, your age and any private information, but you're a little <laughs> bit older than I am, I believe. So yeah, I'm 26. I'm fine with sharing that. Okay. So, okay. You're only a year older than me, but um, you are, you know, in your later 20s, if you want to say for like switching, like you didn't decide when you were 20 to like switch. So um, what would your advice be for anyone who's thinking of switching? Yeah. Um, well, I would first say that it does seem like I'm a little bit past the normal, you know, pre-med into medical school age group. But I've been told that the average age for first year of medicine is uh, 29. So I am actually wow. below it believe it or not. That's so interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't think a lot of them have been, have been performing and writing music before, before this, you know, endeavor. But uh, I would say, yeah, <laughs> that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I think you have to, you have to give yourself time to, reflect upon the things that you're doing 
And, you know, in the world we live in right now um, and have been living in, it doesn't allow for a lot of time to, to be with your own thoughts and to think about, you know, your, your path and, and what you might want to be doing in the future. And I think, you know, this isn't really related, it's probably related to something, but I would say, uh, you have to be kind of, um, selfish in that way. You have to just, uh, take the time that you need to really think these things through and, it's not always going to be found um, simply by doing, you know, things that you think other people think you should be doing or, you know, anything like that. Like you really have to have to ask yourself the hard questions and, and sit with that. And, uh, you know, it takes time. And it's like I said, it is not painless. I don't think it's ever painless. And um, but you, you have to you have to be selfish in that regard. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Yeah. Just telling people to be selfish. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Yeah. Not just for like switching your path, but like you have to be selfish and like, yeah, figuring out what it is you want to do in the first place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, sort of like what I was saying even about or what we were saying about the music you're playing and the, you know, it can be so hard it's so hard because you're caught up in the world but so easy to just keep going into this like okay i've got to get into the top orchestra i've got to you know get into this young artist program which means for my voice type i have to sing this this or this and i have to you know there's all these things along the way not just in music but probably in other in other bailiwicks where you're just sort of always you know the path is set before you but you never have any time to think about it and to think about if, if this is what I'm presenting to the world, then I need to know everything about it, or at least everything about it that I think I need to know, you know? Um, and um, yeah, I don't want to get too preachy and weird, but it, it, it's, uh, it's never painless. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll leave, it at, we'll leave it at that. I mean, that's, this has been great. And um, thank you again for agreeing to come on the pod. And yeah just been very informative and very fun yeah yeah i've had a good time thanks for letting me have my my dress rehearsal now if i choke on the interview you'll know that they'll know where i went wrong <laughs> no it was great a great uh practice run for your yeah for your good try run <laughs> interview exactly yeah all right well thank you everyone for tuning in and see you all next week mm -hmm.